Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Mastermind.fm. Your hosts today are Ninja James Laws of Ninja Forms fame and myself, Jean Galea from WP Mayor and WPRSS Aggregate. Uh, today, we have a special episode for you. It's an interview with Pippin Williamson of Easy Digital Downloads, Affiliate WP, and Restrict Content Pro. It's probably how he's best known. Uh, we had a series of questions that were asked from uh, listeners who submitted questions, as well as uh, some questions from Jean and myself that we wanted to kind of pick into his business. This was this was a fabulous interview. I think it was a little different than other interviews you may have heard with Pippin. We went into some perhaps some different topics about his own business, how he got started, and the challenge that he's facing. Um, I think one of my favorite parts is we did a, a, instead of doing a speed round, we did this kind of a, a deep round. We asked some hard, open-ended questions for him to kind of offer some introspection into his own business and in his own personal life. And it was, I think the responses were really, uh, really rich and really helpful. What was your favorite part? Uh, really, it was all very interesting for me. Um, we covered a lot of, a ton of material. Um, there's a lot more that we could have covered, but obviously I think this was probably our longest episode. Uh, so I had to cut things short a bit, but I hope to have Pippin again in a future podcast to cover some more material with him. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It was a really rich interview and, and we we'll definitely have to do another episode. But without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into it. But first, a word with our sponsors. Check this out. We all know how important security is on today's web. This week's episode of Mastermind.fm is brought to you by SiteLock, the global leader in website security solutions. They bring you the most comprehensive suite of security software on the web with vulnerability scanning, malware detection, removal, and prevention. They also offer Global CDN, the content delivery network, to boost your speed and ensure your visitors are reaching you as quickly and efficiently as possible, no matter where in the world they are. Give SiteLock a look at sitelock.com mastermind. Well, Pippin, thank you for joining us on Mastermind.fm. It's my pleasure. Uh, we're really excited to have you with us. We've been talking a lot about starting a word, uh, kind of a WordPress product business. And as we were discussing, uh, Jean and I both said, man, we really want to have Pippin on the show uh, because a lot of us kind of watched you get started to get started. Like I watched all the things that you were doing as I was kind of getting into the space and learned so much from kind of watching how you kind of adjusted through that process. So it's kind of exciting to have you on the show and just kind of talk through this stuff. It'll be fun. My pleasure. And I think John and I are both customers of yours as well. So that's kind of uh, interesting as well. I believe it goes each way. That's true. That's true. Uh, we're really excited about it. So, John, do you want to start us off with the first listener question? Because I think it kind of starts the, the base level of getting into this, this space. You had a, a question, I believe, from, from Malta, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And uh, just also wanted to mention that I had interviewed Pippin a couple of years ago in 2013 on WP Mayor. Not sure if you remember, but I do. it's really good to see how much you've grown from that time. At the time, you were still doing freelance development and you ran Pippin's plugins. And I believe your biggest plugin at the, at the time was Restrict Content Pro. Yeah, I think that would be right. That's only three years ago. So congratulations on that. Well, thank you. It's been a fun journey. So the first question, like uh, James mentioned, is from Anton. And Anton wants to know... Uh, Anton from Malta wants to know how you got into PHP programming and obviously then to WordPress. Sure. So I started uh, doing just a little bit of freelance web development work uh, 
late high school, early college. So that would have been around 2007 to 2009. And I was doing just some very basic client sites uh, just to help pay my, pay my rent on the side. I was going to school for full time to study linguistics, the scientific study of languages. And the, the freelance web development work that I was doing was just to basically just pay my rent, buy a little bit of, buy a few groceries every month. And that all started with just HTML and CSS. And then I kind of fell into uh, using WordPress by accident or unintentionally. Uh, my, my brother had a website that he wanted to have some improvements on and it was running WordPress. And so naturally being, being family, I'm free labor. So he <laughs> kind of had me do it and I, I started to learn about it and, and figure out how it worked. And that progressed to me using WordPress for some client sites that were still very, very basic in terms of, uh, like their development requirements. But that introduced me to PHP. I started to learn the WordPress template files and themes and started to figure out what each of these little things that I later learned where PHP did. Uh, and that interested me. And I started to play around with them more and more. And that eventually led into building a couple of very basic plugins. Uh, and I then realized that I actually really enjoyed uh, writing code and, and writing in PHP more than I liked building sites for clients. I, I still did client work for another probably two years after that, but it was, WordPress was my introduction to PHP and is absolutely where I got started with it and where I learned it. And I learned it really out of the necessity because I started to realize if I wanted to build more advanced sites and I wanted to build some of the things that my clients were wanting, I needed to understand how it worked. And so I just kind of dove in head first. That is, uh, that's actually really interesting because while I don't consider myself a developer anywhere near your level, that's actually how I got started as well. It was WordPress first, and then I got into PHP. And I think probably a lot of developers, and at least in the WordPress space, that's kind of their, their entrance. I remember in the beginning, I couldn't tell you what was the difference between a WordPress function and an actual PHP core function. I didn't, didn't know the difference. And I was like, oh, once I understood that that's all these were, were functions, I was like, oh, okay, now I can dig into this a little bit more. And it was interesting. I suspect it's probably pretty common for, for most developers who get into a language, uh, whichever language it is, through a tool or platform that they're using for some other purpose. So if, if you're in PHP, maybe it's because you're, you got into WordPress or Joomla or Drupal, uh, or maybe it's one of the other PHP frameworks or, or any other language. You get into it out of that uh, desire to build more with the system that you're using or the the platform and so whichever language it uses is what you decide to go for. That's fair. Perhaps it's one of the problems that gets mentioned a lot among the developer community within WordPress or outside WordPress is that most developers learned PHP through WordPress and so maybe they lack that kind of formation and through PHP or programming that would then be applied to WordPress and have better standards in a way. Yeah, I think there's absolutely some of that. Uh, I think at the same time, it should be taken with a grain of salt. Like, so a lot of developers will, uh, if they, maybe they get started with their platform. And so in this case, get started learning through WordPress. And then that is the PHP that they know, as opposed to the wider PHP community and the different things available to them outside of the, the WordPress world. 
But in, in my mind, that does not necessarily make someone any less or more of a developer just because you follow the, the trends or the standards of, of one platform. Where I think you get defined as a developer is your flexibility to move beyond and to learn from each individual platform. And so uh, every single every single person that considers themselves a WordPress developer should be learning from CodeIgniter, should be learning from, from Zen Framework, should be learning from Laravel, should be learning from Drupal, and, and the other way around. Every single project has its vices and its, and its, uh, its pros. So Yeah, I think any, any school or thought, any, any area of higher learning in these, in these categories have their elitism, right, where we tend to be purist, if you will, the purist. Like, I, I think, you know, if you don't know pure, just straight PHP, and that isn't, you know, forget WordPress, forget Laravel, forget all the frameworks. And, or you have the, the factions, the Laravel versus WordPress and WordPress versus Drupal and all this stuff, and ends up just being silly because we're all just building stuff, right? <laughs> so who cares? Um, what was what was the first product? So you we know how you got into PHP and into WordPress doing freelance work. What was the first product you ever actually sold as a product instead of just doing freelance work? And what inspired that decision or that particular product? Uh, it was also, so my first product was also the very first plugin I ever wrote, and it was called Font Uploader. And it was a little plugin that I built specifically for a client. This client had a just a standard website that they wanted for for their business. I, I think they sold a security software of some kind, and they wanted to be able to upload their own fonts to their website. So they were kind of the they they wanted to take a hand in the design and change their site from time to time whenever they wanted, and they wanted to upload their own fonts. And so I basically built them this this feature that allowed them to take a TTF file or an OTF file and upload it to their site and then select the HTML elements that it should be applied to. And that project later ended up getting canned, but after I built the, the feature form, I decided, you know, let's see if I can rip this out, turn it into a plugin. I had written a tutorial on how I had done it on a website called Pro Blog Design, and a bunch of people asked for it to be a plugin there. So I decided to figure out and see how it worked and got it working as a plugin form. And then I was familiar with a site called CodeCanyon.net from Envato at the time, which was a pretty different place than it is today. It was much, much, much smaller. Um, I think at the time there was 50 or maybe 100 WordPress plugins on there at max, and now there's who knows how many thousands. And so I just decided to upload it and, and see, see what uh, what, what happened with it. Uh, the reviewers accepted it on the website and a few hours later it had its first sale, which blew my mind. I, I was so shocked and I think I went out and immediately bought a latte or something on as a broke college student. <laughs> it's like, this is sweet. <laughs> How much did you sell it for at that, that first time? I think it started at $9. And so I got something like five to six dollars per sale. Very cool. Very cool. Did it sell well in the beginning? Uh, did it take one of those things? It, ac it actually did. Uh, it's, so it lived on Code Canyon for two to three years, I think three years even, and it sold an average of one or three times per day for quite a while. Wow, that's very cool. 
Uh, and since then, you've ended up building really dozens of plugins. After that, a lot that you gave away for free, obviously, on WordPress.org uh, for various reasons. Um, and now you maintain the three big ones, if I'm correct, right? So you have Easy Digital Downloads, which is your e-commerce solution. It's the one that Jean and I both use to sell our products. You have Affiliate WP, which is a just a great WordPress integrated affiliate system uh, with a ton of power features for affiliates. And then beyond that, you have Restrict Content Pro, which was actually probably one of the first of your premium products, correct? It wasn't the first, but it was the first big one, or it was actually the second big one that really got me into the idea of running a full-time plugin business. And the first one, the first one was Easy Custom Post Types? That was the big one, yes. Very cool. What? So I, I'm curious. So you're starting these businesses. You have these these different plugins that you're selling. Uh, you have the the easy easy custom post types that's taking off. Uh, you started Restrict Content Pro after that. When when did it hit you that hey I could actually make a living doing this and this could be my exclusive and sole source of income? Um, spring 2010. Can you give us a little bit of a framework of like when you first started selling products to that when spring 2010 comes around? Yeah, I think my first product was sold. I could log into Code Canyon and actually tell you the exact date of it. Uh, <laughs> that takes too much work though. Uh, I think it was about a year before that. So late, either late 2009 or summer 2009 maybe. No, it would have been fall semester 2009 because uh, I had a, I was living in a house and I had a a roommate that was a PHP developer, and he he was the one that helped me first build Font Uploader. He kind of gave it a look over and said, "Yep, this is okay." Uh, taught me some stuff about security and and things like that. And so yeah, that would have been like 2009. So it took about a year before I decided I wanted to try to go at it uh, full steam ahead. And it was it was so it was spring of that year that I decided I think I can do it. I was looking at what how much I was making from the sales. And I knew it was pretty close to being able to cover my bills. Now, granted, as a as a college student at the time, expenses were pretty minimal. Um, I mean, I could live on much, much, much less than I than I can now. I mean, I, I was it was just me. I had roommates. We had pretty cheap rent. But I decided to look at it and said, Yeah, I think I can do it. And so that summer was my experiment. And I said, I'm gonna if I can pay my bills over the summer, I'm gonna go at it full steam. If I if I flounder and, and fail to pay my bills this summer, then we'll figure something else out. Uh, and it worked. Very cool. I would want to ask how important were kind of, or if you've had any mentors along the way, because obviously you started very young, you're still very young. And uh, so I was wondering whether there was any help along the way, which helped you to make these breakthroughs between even mentally from being just a, a, a PHP developer maybe, into believing that you could build a huge product business on WordPress. So I didn't. I never had a like a specific mentor that I would meet with, um, but there was a lot of people that I looked up to. Just a lot of people in the WordPress community doing doing great things, uh, and I really appreciated their work. And I tried to kind of follow their lead. I looked at what they were doing, and and that was tremendously helpful. So it wasn't. I wasn't going into it blind at all like I had uh, I knew that what what we were what I was striving to build at the time was possible and I knew that I knew that we could get there I knew that other people had gotten there and I think I was also very fortunate at the time because 
it was kind of the beginning of the commercial WordPress product ecosystem. There were, there were commercial WordPress businesses, but all of them were theme-based. And, and so the plugin world was really just starting to take off, which I think gave us a, a lot of, I, I don't know that we'd be where we were today if we started today. Like if, and if then fast forwarded three and a half, four years, I don't think we'd be in the same place. Uh, so maybe there's a lot of luck involved or right time, right place. So now you're obviously not doing it alone as you were doing a few years ago. So we've got a team and how many people more or less are you at the moment? Uh, we have eight full-time team members, eight full-time employees. Uh, we have a new ones uh, moving from part-time to full-time in August. And then we have four part-time team members as well. So we've got about 10 to 12 people that are working di- uh, almost every day on, on the various projects. Awesome. So and that's, this brings me to a question from Joe, who's based in Thailand at the moment who was interested in knowing about your interview and onboarding process for developers. And also another question he had was about support load and things like how long it takes to to write a reply and uh, kind of the amount of time spent in the business on support versus the whole. Uh, In terms of of onboarding, (laughs) I say that because what onboard process? Uh, you know, learn, uh, growing a team and, and learning how to bring new people on is still something that we're very much learning how to do. Uh, every single person is a new experiment. And so far, our, the majority of our team, most of whom have been around for a while, uh, the, the onboarding process, the interviews was all just kind of a natural thing that happened over the course of a year. Um, they, all of them got involved with the various products in an open source way. So they, they were first users and they would post questions in the support forms and then they would post more questions and then more questions and then we started to realize, hey, you know more about this software than most people do. And then they had the kind of mentality that says, oh, I'm gonna help out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer this other person's question who posted in the forms. And, uh, I figured out, I found a bug and I figured out how to fix it. So here's, here's how to fix it. And they would submit that to us. Uh, and that just was kind of a natural progression into them being more and more involved with the projects. Uh, and then either me offering them, offering to pay them for, to do support on an hourly basis or to do development work. Uh, and then some of those turned into offers of, hey, you want to do this full time? We'll pay you. We'll pay you a salary. Come do it full time. Uh, and so we've only had our our last our latest three employees that we've that we've hired, or three of the last four, all had a little bit of a, a an actual onboard process where we we talked to them, we interviewed them, and figured out uh, if if they seemed like a good fit for us, and then tried to onboard them. And and those were a little rocky honestly, because we didn't necessarily know how to onboard someone. Everybody that I'd hired in the past had made their made themselves available, had already created the position for themselves before they even started. So there, you can, you can hire somebody that's been working with you for a year or two years. And the only thing that changes 
is how much you pay them, how you pay them, maybe an official title, but their day-to-day -day work doesn't change. So there is no onboard process. They already know, they're already familiar with it. And then there's hiring a brand new employee that's never worked on the team, has, has maybe familiar with the projects, but they're not already in the systems. They don't know how the team works. They don't know uh, the rest of it. So they have to learn it. And that's been a complete experiment for us. And we're gonna, I, I, don't, I don't think I could give a good answer on how to do that yet because we haven't figured it out. I, I will say if you can, if you can, if you're in a position where you have somebody that has kind of made themselves available to the project, those should be your first go-to. To try and answer the, the other question about support, um, support's hard. I think support is the hardest job in the, in the projects by far. Uh, development is not the hardest. Managing the company is not the hardest. Support is the hardest. Support is the most draining position mentally, uh, sometimes physically, of any position in the company by far. And, and that's just support loads are usually heavy, uh, especially in a large open source project, uh, for one, because not every single person that is asking questions is a paid customer. Our support loads vary. So Easy Digital Downloads has the highest. Uh, followed in terms of per dollar uh it would be next would be affiliate wp followed by restricted content pro i think being the lowest uh so easy digital downloads is easily double or triple the support of everything else um and it's so it's it's definitely the most difficult to support as well one because of volume two just complexity and the number of variables what was the re what was the rest of the question i i guess it was uh the average time it takes for, for writing a reply and the support costs in comparison with revenue, which is what you were answering before, yeah, so. Uh, so in terms of like support costs per revenue, I did work it out last year. I wrote a, a year in review post and I kind of broke down and I said, let's, let's take our total revenue and let's divide it by the number of tickets we have just to see a basic dollar to, do, uh, dollar to ticket ratio. Uh, and, I don't remember what our exact values were. I think it ranged from $70 per ticket to $20 per ticket, something like that. In terms of like the amount of time it takes to answer a ticket, it varies so much. I mean, we have, we have some tickets that we can answer in five seconds or less. We have tickets that take an hour to answer. Uh, it really just, it depends on the complexity of the ticket. It depends on the customer. Some people ask very simple questions. Some people ask 50 very in-depth questions. I can I could actually tell you what our average response time is, uh, which might help. Uh, it'll take me just a second to pull that up. And I guess you, that's that can be found on Help Scout if you're using Help Scout or other software, similar software. Yeah, which um, I think one thing that that we've definitely learned in in supporting this is make sure you have a decent support system. If you want to run a run a a full scale project. Uh, don't spend your time building your building your own support system. We did that for three years, and it was fun. It was a whole lot of fun, and it worked pretty well for us. But in the end, uh, one of the things that helped us be a lot more efficient was using a support system that is <laughs> built to handle support. Okay, so to give you a, a quick idea, we have an average hand, handle time, which is the amount of time it takes to handle a ticket um, across uh, 12 team members and it varies from one minute and 30 seconds all the way up to 24 minutes. And some of that varies between the number of tickets that they handle too, so. I have a follow-up question about this. Is there any cutoff point where, say, a customer is asking questions every day 
is there a cutoff point where you say, listen, this is not a good fit for you and let's just refund this customer? Absolutely. There, it's not a set cutoff point. Like there's no, okay, you get 10 questions and you get one hour time and you're done. There's nothing like that. It varies from customer, customer to customer. Uh, for example, it de depends how much have you spent with us. If you spent if you spent $1,000 with us in the last two days, we're gonna go a little bit further to help you than somebody who hasn't spent a dollar. Usually we, we kind of look at how many, how many tickets are you opening? What kind of tickets are you opening? How much have you spent? How much of our time are you taking? Can we look at everything involved with this particular customer and their questions and say, is this a worthwhile relationship for us? Um, is this something that is a, a gain or a loss? And it's not to say that the moment somebody crosses over to maybe costing us more than they're giving us, that we're going to cut them off because, you know, there's some people cost, cost a lot. Some people cost very, very little and they balance out in the end, uh, hopefully. But every now and then you do have certain situations where you have to say, no, this is not no longer valuable for us. And honestly, in most of the time for us, it's not a dollar game. It's, it's a psychology game. And so if you, if a particular customer is damaging our team's happiness or our psychology, that's going to cut you off far faster than you're taking more time from us. Because at the end of the day, support's, support is a mind game. And support is one of the fastest ways to turn, you, turn someone from enjoying their work to hating their work. Uh, so if, you, if, you ha if you're dealing with bad situations and things that are making you unhappy, I think one of the best things that we can do to help manage our support team is to get rid of those situations. And so is, there, is anyone on the support team empowered to make such decisions or do they have to discuss it with you or some other, maybe a support team leader? How does it work? Well, I try and make sure that everyone knows that I am not a manager. Uh, and so every single person that works on our team is independent. We, everybody is welcome to, to ask for suggestions or advice for someone or just say, hey, I don't know how to handle it. What do you, what do you think we should do here? Um, at the end of the day, technically I am the boss. And so if we, if we do have to make a decision, it usually does come down to me, but we try to make sure that everybody has that decision of, we're not gonna handle, we're not gonna deal with this. Or if maybe not necessarily decide it for the entire team, but as an individual, just say, I will not, deal with this person anymore. I will not deal with this ticket. And then we can choose, okay, does somebody else want to take on that challenge or are we gonna cut them off? Yeah, I know sometimes even with our own support team, we'll, we'll have somebody who's dealt with a, like a toxic customer um, and they're having a hard time. And we'll just pull them off of it and give somebody fresh eyes who has a fresh perspective. And many times that can pacify the whole situation and everybody's kind of evens out and it's okay. But there are definitely plenty of times everybody in, on the support team should have the right to say, I think we should fire this customer and then have a valid conversation around that. So absolutely, that's very cool. Well, and, and you know, I think that like what you said, just changing the person that's handling it can very often de-escalate an issue. Just from the customer's perspective, because whether or not your system has a hierarchy, if a, if a ticket is passed from one support agent to another, a lot of times they are seeing, the, the customer is seeing that as an escalation of their ticket to a higher department. They may not know that there's only four people involved and that they, everybody's on the same tier, but psychologically, again, support's a, a mind game. 
um, psychologically, they, they feel that way. And so it changes the way that they interact with you. And that can make all the difference in the world. If, however, they remain toxic, like it, that's proof right there. If you have two or three of your team members that have all experienced toxic behavior from this, this person, sever those ties immediately. Yeah, I, I agree. So let's move on to something else that I'd like. And even we had some questions about. So you have obviously, as we mentioned, several products that you handle and typically entrepreneurs within the WordPress space stick to one product and try to focus all their energies on one product. You've successfully spread your management or whatever you want to call it onto several products. And you've also put some up for adoption and even sold others. How do you manage all the products? And do you think that there's a, a point where you can say one person cannot handle more than say three plugins or, and how do you maybe onboard other people to take over most of your duties for a particular project? Early on, the plugins that I was building were very small. Things like Font Uploader was a very small plugin. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't a, a giant project that took a lot of work. It, it, its main work was just answering support tickets from people, fixing occasional bugs. And then I built another small little plugin that kind of did the same thing. And then another one, and then another one, then another one. And so my my introduction to the idea of a product business was from a whole bunch of little tiny small products that all contributed to the monthly revenue. And not no one of those products was big enough to sustain sustain me. That started to change a little bit when I built Easy Content Types followed by Restricted Content Pro. But e even then, they were small enough that it wasn't a challenge for me to manage them by myself. They all required work, but because I had pretty early on transitioned to building plugins full-time as opposed to doing contract work, I was able to, to take care of all of those pretty easily at the beginning, especially they hadn't because none of them had grown too substantially. They, they had grown substantially in that I was able to provide for myself and then soon after that my family, but the, the workload required wasn't that much. So I think that early spread of my, my focus kind of set me up for this idea of we don't have just one product because I didn't build one product make that successful and then then build another one and then build another one like i mean i st the entire business started with 10 little products and each one of those just kind of grew up a little bit here a little bit there a little bit more a little bit more and once it became too much for me to manage it was okay let's bring somebody in to help work on that product let's just do have bring someone to do support for that plugin let's have some let's bring somebody in to do support for that plugin and that's really where that that team originally started to grow up from was just building bringing in support for one of those plugins and then those continued to grow and and we really defined the focus from where the revenue was uh, and so like restrict content pro was the by far the the most successful of of the plugins we built at the time and so that's what got the focused then easy digital downloads got built and quickly became the lead in terms of our focus purely from a, a user base, a customer base, and a revenue base. And yeah, and the team just continued to grow because we had to have that focus. There was it was very clear that we couldn't I couldn't do it just just with me. 
And then selling some of the plugins off, discontinuing them, putting them up for adoption was just kind of a natural progression as number one, as products began to stagnate. So like font uploader, for example, hadn't received an update in two years. And every time it sold, it received a support ticket, which basically meant that it was a wash. It just, it didn't, especially at a $9 plugin, it just didn't provide the value that it used to because instead of getting 15 sales and a support ticket, it was one sale and a support ticket. And some of that was because the code was becoming outdated. It didn't work as well as it used to, or there was new, new, new technology for adding fonts to your website that was far superior. And so those naturally just kind of, number one, their sales declined and kind of leveled out with the support that they were receiving and decided this is not worth it anymore. And so we got, so we decided I'm going to close that plugin. I'm going to discontinue it. And then there was a plugin that I wrote called Sugar Slider. That was one of the first image slider plugins out there. And eventually I decided to close it for the same reason that it wasn't contributing enough to justify us bringing a developer on to work on it. That was, that was, so we, we couldn't grow the team around. There was no team to build around it. It was, can I manage this in my spare time with the other projects? And the amount of revenue that it was bringing in with the support level that it had on top of the fact that it had really bad code in it because I, we had grown as, de as developers so much since that was first built, I just couldn't justify selling it. When I realized that I felt bad every time it sold, it's like, I feel guilty inside. That had to go away. And then... Uh, things like easy content types, it was still a large plugin and I knew it wasn't really, it was, it, it was kind of on its way out in terms of sales were decreasing support and it's and sales and support were starting to level out, but it was still a successful plugin in that it was still doing pretty well every single month as, especially for, as a side project that just kind of sat there. And so for that one, we just had to decide we either focus on it and we revitalize it or we sell it or we, or we just discontinue it completely. And it had enough revenue monthly that I knew that we could sell it for a decent chunk of change. And it, to me, as, as a business owner, it felt irresponsible to just discontinue it. Not to mention it had a pretty loyal user base that would like to see it continue to develop. And so another thing that's kind of interesting on that vein is Restrict Content Pro was on the same path as easy content types in that it was start it was becoming the side project it was one that i would spend an hour working on every month and then just trying to support it in the in the rest of the time and so it wasn't getting new features it was barely getting bug fixes it was just kind of sitting there and we decided to make the decision of okay we either also sell it or discontinue it or we let it slowly die or we give it focus and we try to build it up to a kick-ass product. And we decided to strive for the latter. Uh, and so we took one of, one of our team members, had a lot of interest in it, and he decided, I want to focus on it full-time. And so we, we did that, and uh, we've doubled its revenue in six months. Uh, and we're going to continue to do the same. So I think it's just kind of that natural progression of products. You have different things that you can do with, with each one. If, if a product is slowly dying, you can choose to let it die, let it go into its grave slowly and quietly. You can choose to sell it off while you still can, or you can give it, give it new life. I think now, so we're still spread out across the three major project, projects, and we also have um, about 10 or 15 other 
commercial plugins that are under our under the company. And most of those are those little side projects that as long as they continue to make occasional sales without really requiring support, they'll stay alive. As soon as we, we can definitely say this is getting taking too much support for what we can manage, probably discontinue or sell it or, or let, it, let it die. Um, now our focus is very much the three main projects, Easy Digital Downloads, Affiliate WP, and Restricted Content Pro. And I think we've been able to maintain focus on those as major projects because all three are related. They're all in the e-commerce sphere. Um, I mean, Restricted Content Pro is memberships, but that's still related to e-commerce. Uh, and so it's not like we're building e-commerce software over here and a CMS over here. I mean, they're very, very closely related. Easy Digital Downloads and Affiliate WP, Affiliate WP and Restricted Content Pro have very close uh, relationships with each other. Uh, and in some ways, they, they really, be, they came, each one of them came to be out of necessity. Restricted Content Pro was first. Then Easy Digital Downloads came because I wanted to have a way to sell Restricted Content Pro. Easy Digital Downloads then progressed into a much larger platform because people started to use it. And then Affiliate WP became, came into being because we wanted to be able to run our own affiliate program. We didn't like the options that we had. And so they, each one of them was just kind of a natural progression. And now they each support each other. I think that's a, a, a neat uh, point. Like, if I remember correctly, Restrict Content Pro kind of started because you were trying to sell gated content, right? It was. So yeah. you started Restrict Content Pro to sell tutorials and offer that membership type area. Uh, then you needed to sell Restrict Content Pro, so you built an e-commerce solution. And then you needed a good affiliate program, and the option stunk, so you built a really kick-ass affiliate system. I love that. I love that that synergy of projects saying, you know, okay, each of these complement each other, and we as a company do have a focus. Uh, it's not just a ton of disjointed and unrelated products. This partially shifts because we've been talking a little bit about managing all of these projects, and you said you have eight full-time team members, a part-time who's about to transition to full-time. How do you divide your team up on those projects? Is it just kind of as you need them, everyone circles around a project? Are they um, individually assigned per project uh, almost exclusively? Like, How do you manage that? Usually each, each person has started with a focus. Easy Digital Downloads, Restricted Content Pro, and Affiliate V more or less have distinct teams. There is overlap between them, but somebody who's one of the team members who's focusing on EDD only rarely does anything on Affiliate WP and vice versa. Uh, and so we do definitely have distinct teams. We have people that are leads on the projects and most of them have come in to the various projects by making themselves available to that project. So like, for example, a couple of our team members started in support for, for EDD and they've just, and that's where they've stayed as they transition from part-time to full-time. One of our main guys did, did start on EDD and moved to Restricted Content Pro. And, and actually Affiliate WP was the same way. We started in Easy Digital Downloads as support and development and then moved to Affiliate WP. And so we, we definitely have movement across the teams, uh, but we don't try to have everybody work on everything. I think it, it helps a lot to have everybody have a specific focus. We want everyone to be familiar with all three because if, let's just say one day we just get slammed by support and we, we really need an extra hand, we wanna be able to pull someone off of the other team and just say, hey, this week, come help out and support or or we need a code review, or we need extra development time or something like that. 
in terms of when we bring somebody new on, they are coming on mostly to work on one project or one product. And usually they're brought on out of need and or out of about if like, maybe we don't need somebody, but if we can see that they are going to contribute significant value to a, to a project, then we'll bring them on for that project as well. So from what we've spoken right now, it seems to me that if you had to draw an organization chart, it'd be you at the top, then a product leader for each project, and then the devs and support specialists right under them. So it would be around the three level hierarchy sort of, if anything. Yes and no. I would, we, we tr so we don't have a formal hierarchy and I try to avoid that. Um, one of the things I, I try and tell people is that you're not coming to work for me, you're coming to work with me. I, I've never been much of a fan of the idea of tiered hierarchies. They, ha they have their, their benefits and they have their reasons. I mean, there's a reason they exist in every society, but I, I try to avoid that. And so we don't actually give anybody formal titles of your product lead or your support lead. Uh, everybody has a focus and there's a natural synerg synergism that comes from knowing, well, he knows that area best. She knows that one better than anybody else. And so when we need help, that's who we're going to go to. Or we'll have like project leads. And so if we have a, if we have a particular project within one of the products, maybe it's building a new feature or it's building a new page on the site or building up the affiliate program or what have you, there's going to be a lead for that project. But beyond that, we, tr we try to avoid like official um, systems or labels. Just uh, in my mind, they don't, they don't need to exist in, a, in an organization our size. If we double in size or we triple or as we continue to grow, it will be a necessity purely because of the fact that at some point you do have to have project managers. You do have to have people that are managing others. And so that does naturally have to happen. At our size right now, I think we can get away with avoiding that mostly. And I like that. I think there's a danger too in divvying out roles and authority too soon before you're ready to scale in that way because it's a lot easier to give somebody a role than it is to take a role away from someone. And so you don't want to put the wrong person there. And so if your team is small and you can operate in this kind of flat system, that's definitely better than you know when you get bigger and you say, now I can pull out my rock stars and put them in charge of leads and there's not the same animosity that could come from, um, actually, you're not supposed to be in this position. I'm removing you and putting so-and-so in that position. And so I think making those decisions too soon can hurt you. I agree. I also I like allowing everybody to naturally define their role. Some people are naturally better leaders than others. Some are just natural followers and some are naturally just to do a little bit of both somewhere in between. Um, and I would rather allow each person to define their role and define maybe an eventual official title than just to say, all right, your manager or your project lead. Just, I think that when we can operate at this, at this scale, I think is a better system. No, I think that's good. 
John, if you if you don't disagree, since this has been normally we hold our episodes to about thirty minutes. This one's a little bit longer because we have such a wealth of information coming from you, Pippin. Uh, but I think we need to start to wrap up. And if we do, I'd like to, you know, every podcast that does interviews, they have what they call like the speed round, and they ask you like, hey, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite quote? And those are all great, but I decided I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to have a deep round where we ask some of those questions that are a little a little harder to answer than, oh, well, I like X book, which you can get book reading lists anywhere. I wanted something specific from, from you, Pippin. So I, I wrote down a few questions I think would be helpful to hear from your perspective of running a business. So the first one I had was, what is the most important piece of advice you would give to someone starting or wanting to start their own business? Yeah, you got hard pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, uh, they they don't get easier. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna vary from every business, um, but there's 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 a couple of quick points that I would give. Number one, never be afraid to hire an accountant. Number two, don't be afraid to bring somebody else on, even just part time. I think early, if uh, if I stepped back three years, I think I would have brought somebody else on sooner, uh, as opposed to allowing myself to get really really burnt out and stressed out to the point that I almost decided. Maybe I don't want to do this. Uh, and lastly, uh, do your absolute best to take care of yourself because the business will fail if you fail. And so get enough sleep, take care of yourself, be healthy, get enough activity. We, I think anybody who's starting a business has this natural drive to say, I'm going to work 23 hours straight. I'm going to sleep for now. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get back into the chair. I'm going to pour, pour another pot of coffee. I'm going to keep going. And that can work for a little bit, but it will burn you out and it might kill you. So take care of yourself because if you want to be there for the long haul, I think people are surprised when I tell them, but I I sleep eight hours a night. And I think that's one of the most valuable things that I can do to run the business today. That's, that's awesome. Um, And and this one, actually, this next question, probably maybe I've already been answered that you can pull that out. But if you had to do it all over again, what would be one thing you would do differently in your business? Uh, one thing I, w- I would completely change our business model for easy digital downloads, uh, or I wouldn't completely change it. I would, uh, I would make some pretty significant adjustments. So when we first started, uh, ED, we decided that we wanted to run a marketplace. We wanted to sell other people's code and let them come on as authors. Uh, and that worked very, very well for us. At the same time, it made it very difficult to grow. Um, because of growing too fast, growing uncontrollably. Suddenly we realized that we were supporting a bunch of people's code and products that we weren't necessarily familiar with. And, and some of that was poor planning on my part. Some of that was just being too accepting of just say, okay, it works, that's good enough, we'll sell it, we'll support it for you. Uh, so I would, I would change it and instead of working with say 100 different people, I would be very selective and say, we're going to work with these five and we're going to build where each one of these five teams is going to build really, really kick-ass products um, in, in our, each of our niche focuses. We got very, we were a little too quick to say every plugin that is built, we will sell no matter how niche or how focused the feature is, it doesn't matter. We'll put it up on the site to sell. And that created some, some interesting issues. So now we kind of have a rule of, if it is a very niche feature or if it's a little tiny thing that two people are going to buy, we're not going to sell it because the amount of management it takes to get that thing up there to take care of it and then to support it if it ever does is more than it's worth. So we want to focus on the major features. We want to focus on the ones 
that really define and create a product. And then we can still support that ecosystem for everything else for the, for the little tiny one-off features that one person needs or five people need. That's one big change that we'd make. And then, yeah, I think that's, that's the main thing. Only because what we discovered is that by trying to build everything, trying to sell everything that was created, is it created very, it made management and support very, very difficult for us. Um, to the point where we realized we as a team have to make changes or we will not be this team anymore. We will not build this product anymore because... I think that's really wise because ooh, I think something that we miss sometimes in running business, we think of, oh, well, we have this product. Why not sell it? And we don't necessarily consider the administrative costs of managing that project, of working the support, of working with that team to make sure bugs get fixed, and um, to developers who may be less than responsive than we need them to be when things happen. So then we end up having to patch it ourselves anyway, and and now we're developing a project that we didn't build, and it's not really selling. And there is a there's a huge there's a lot more to the cost of a product business than just the building the product and just the initial support ticket of the product. There's a lot more that goes involved did that so i think i think it's a wise decision and i, I think that makes sense that's that's really good it, it's one something that you would never know unless either you learned it from somebody previously or you experience it yourself and so it's it's definitely one of those hindsight is 2020 absolutely what is uh what would you say is the most challenging thing you're facing in your business today you know years later three projects making money supporting and paying other people so that they're able to live working on these projects. What is the, the probably the biggest challenge you think you're facing today? That's a really hard question. I don't know if I have a good answer for you. Uh, maybe I have a couple. One of the challenges that's been interesting for me recently is figuring out where to put my time. So for the longest, for the last four years, five years of, of building this, I was the developer, I was the support, I was the management, I was, well, it was me building a, a business. And, and now we have support on all three projects. We have developers on all three projects. We have, we have marketing on across them. And I don't have a single focus anymore. I jump back and forth between the projects and try and assess where we need to go and what needs to be worked on. And sometimes I get caught up on figuring out what I should actually be working on. So I really like to code. It's my favorite thing to do. And so sometimes I want to just jump in and build a little feature or build this or, and I realize a lot of times that that's not necessarily the best use of, of my time. So I think that, yeah, the, the most challenge, one of the most challenging right now is just on a personal level of trying to decide exactly what my role as the lead is now. Uh, and, and that's been interesting for me. Uh, uh, for the last few years, it's been a lot of, well, I... I'm leading this team, but I'm still the sole person working on Restricted Content Pro, for example. Um, that's no longer the case now. Now we have team members on all the projects. Yeah, that's that's one of the big ones. It's just kind of on that personal level. Um, balance, balancing the personal, this is what I want to do. This is what I should do. This is what I have to do. Well, I can't speak for anyone else, but that, that hits me right where I'm at as well. So I totally understand, especially as I'm trying to delegate more of my management, if you will, responsibilities to other people on the team and, and kind of disperse that. 
I find myself having a harder time determining what should I be working on, what's my, what's the best use of my time, and sometimes if I don't have a project, a thing to get my attention, I end up doing a lot of nothing because <laughs> I don't have that thing to that that I work on for eight hours a day every day and focus you know all my attention on and skip lunches for because I just don't I don't have it so. I, I totally get that. Suddenly, when, when you get into a position of suddenly realizing that you don't know exactly what to work on, was a very weird feeling for me. Uh, and it was, I mean, it's a good thing because it means that, it suddenly means that you're not needed. Well, you're needed, but you're not required. And I, th I think as, as business owners, our goal should always be to make, to build out our teams and to build out our business such that if we have to disappear for a week, that's okay. If we need to disappear for a week, if we want to take a vacation or something like that, we can. But more importantly, if for one reason or another we are incapacitated, the business does not fail. Uh, and the day that you, you're sitting there at your desk and you're like, I don't know what to work on, I think is the day that you've succeeded. That's that's awesome. I, I heard it said it this way, right? The, the if, if you're required to, to be there for the business to run, you don't have a business, you have a job. And so to be able to walk away, to be able to say, this week I have absolutely nothing that I can focus on. And if I don't do anything, if I just go to the movies all every day, if I just, the business is still going to make money, it's still going to run, and my team is still going to do what they do best, that's an awesome place to be. So that is something I think we all strive for. I think at, at the same time, it's still important to, to realize that when, when you're at that position of realizing that you are not required for the business to run is when you have the best opportunity to contribute the most value possible to the business. And so it's not like you're, you get to that point and then you're like, all right, I'm going to walk off. I'm going to go hiking for the rest of the, the week. Have fun, guys. It's, it's not that. It's you, you then start realizing, okay, this is where I can tr put tremendous focus and, and effort for the best return. Preach it. <laughs> All right. This is this is my last question that I'm going to hand it over over to Jean for any anything that he has to to, to ask to wrap it up. Um, this is a chance for you to tell us what you are most excited about. What is the most exciting thing going on in your business day? What are you most excited about the projects that you're working on today? It could be, a, you know, could be that newest feature thing that you have in in your site. You know, a couple months down the road. It could be. Uh, goals for your business in the next year or two that you're just really pumped about. So any anything you like. My um, my I think my favorite thing right now is seeing uh, us rebuild Restricted Content Pro from a dying product to a thriving one. It's it's been it's it's fun to see number one like your original product not not the original but one of the ones that you personally feel helped build the business. And to see it come back and thrive, and and so our goal in six months is to to bring it up to the same level as as the other two products, and we're on a pretty good pace to do that. Uh, and so I'm really excited to see all three of our projects have equal footing, um, both in terms of the amount of focus that they get, the amount of revenue they bring in, the, their uh, their return on investment, etc. So I think looking forward in the next six months, that's that's my favorite focus right now. That's awesome. And congratulations on that. I think that's really cool to see. Uh, Pippin, thank you for taking the time on the deep round with me. I know they were sometimes some difficult questions. Jean, do you have any other questions or anything you want to say as we wrap this up? Uh, yeah, we've covered a lot of content and obviously there's a ton of other questions that we could ask someone like you. I guess we'll have to do a part two sometime <laughs> along the future. Anytime. 
But yeah, thank you for joining us in this episode. And uh, I'm sure our listeners will appreciate all these little bits of advice that you've given. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Pippin. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, what a terrific interview with Pippin. Um, such a great uh, wealth of information and great content. Really enjoyed that. We want to just take a small break before we wrap up for our last sponsor of this particular episode. If you're in the market for a host, listen to this. We're excited to be able to announce that WP Engine, one of the best managed hosting solutions in the WordPress space, has recently become a sponsor of Mastermind.fm. This partnership is an honor for us, and it's a great deal for you. Head over to WPEngine.com and give them a look. Pick any one-year plan and enter the coupon code MASTERMIND at checkout. For our listeners, that means four months free managed WordPress hosting out of your first year with WP Engine. And that's hard to beat. WP Engine is one of the best managed hosting services in the WordPress community. As someone who makes a living in e-commerce, I just can't overstate how critical a solid, reliable hosting service is. WP Engine can be that host for you, and we hope you'll give them a try. Send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm to let us know about your experience if you sign up with them. You won't be disappointed. Okay, wrapping up with this excellent interview with Pippin, whom we thank again. Where can people find you, James? You can find me on Twitter at James Laws or at my website, jameslaws.com. You can find me at Jean Galea on Twitter and jeangalea.com, my personal blog. As usual, please send out questions and topics you'd like us to cover and maybe even other people you'd like us to interview. Send them all to podcast at mastermind.fm. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and subscribe on mastermind.fm. Thank you guys and see you in the next episode.